Um, hey, how about we give a big hand to Jesus? How many love Jesus this morning? Isn't he awesome? Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, church. I know you love Jesus here. Uh, I'm incredibly honored uh, to be here this morning. And let me tell you about Pastor Chris. And I was doing a retreat with about 150 youth in, um, in Hammond years ago. And, of course, yeah, my, I was the rock and roll preacher, long-haired preacher. And my pastor sent me a message and said, I, I need you to go to Chalmette. I need you to leave in an hour and, and, and go preach. They're having a conference, and I told them you were coming. And I was like, well, how many know when your pastor tells you what to do, you just do it? So I uh, got an address, and me and my buddy Todd, we just hit the road. And I like to ride with Todd because Todd drives like I drive. We both have that revelation that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And there are no such thing as boundaries or limitations. So we just rock it. And we got there. And I remember um, that night, it was a wild service. And I remember a young teenager on the guitar playing and leading worship. And that day, I said, there's an anointing on that young man. And that's your pastor. Chris Rodriguez. How many love your pastor? And from time to time, we'd go fellowship and we'd eat. And the questions that he asked were just um, unusual questions. They had depth. They were serious. And um, so you just see the hand of God. So it's no mystery to me. And everything that's happened has been right on time, right on target. And even the things that God has allowed to perfect you and allow you to become exactly who he's called you to be. And how many love his precious wife, Caitlin? And we know that Chris is walking in that revelation of Ephesians 3.20 where the Lord has given him far above all that he could ask or think of. Amen. Um, and just love this church. This church has history here. Let me just say a couple of things. One is, your men are just awesome. Your men are awesome. And, and you ladies, you are absolutely scary and dangerous. Just, just Shalmatian women in general, you're just dangerous women. But the way you have prayed and fought for your men and the move of God is just a testimony. So I know that God has some great things for you. Praise God. God I'm excited to have one of my very best friends here, Brian Odo. I know you know this guy right here. And, and my wife, uh, recently, we were, uh, took a church in Homer, Louisiana. Not Homa, but Homer, Louisiana, which is North Louisiana. We live in Shreveport. And we're so excited because I'm going to tell you right now, there is a hunger in the United States of America. Don't believe the media. Don't believe the, uh, believe the lies. There is an absolute hunger across the United States of America. We know that people are getting frustrated and they're disgruntled. I might start preaching right now, but I'm still doing some intro. People are very disgruntled and they're frustrated right now. And I'll tell you, I believe God is allowing the church to have a holy frustration because he is absolutely shaking some things up right now. I don't think anyone believes the media anymore. Nobody believes what's coming out of social media right now. There's such a bias. But that's a great opportunity for the church to rise up. Amen. I believe that God is about to show off in the earth throughout the body of Christ. He's already doing it in Iran, the fastest growing church in the world. He's already been doing it in Afghanistan, the second fastest growing church in the world. We know he's doing it right now in China. But the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. That means that right here in the United States of America, right here in Chalmette and in Homer, Louisiana, in your house, in my house, that we can have a mighty and a powerful move of God. How y'all doing today? I'm glad to be here. Wasn't anticipating getting excited. So also, uh, so my wife, we have 
we have four children, and so they're up in North Louisiana. But Paul, come up here right quick. This is my son, Paul Gudo. I just want y'all to see him because he's a stud. All right, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Born on my birthday, we planned that. We, we didn't, but I tell people we did. And then Jonah Molazon, stand up. This is Jonah Molazon, mighty, mighty young man, fireman, medic, and uh, just has had an incredible life as well. I, boy, that, that young man has such a testimony. Lived in New York City, traveled, moved, been around, and what God has done in his life. Anyway, I'm just so excited. So that you're in a series right now on the seven last statements from Jesus. And I'm bitter and a little jealous and angry. Not even kidding you, because this is a series that I've been planning to do for a long time. And maybe it is the Holy Ghost that he did this so that I could do this part right here. But the whole thing. And so when your pastor um, reached out to me to come in this men's retreat, which I'm excited about. Again, how you doing, men? I'll tell you right now. Tell you right now, I, I've, I've preached a long time. I started preaching out of the back of my truck when I was 16. And, and, and I've preached around the world. I've preached in a lot of different places, lots of messages. But I can't tell you that when, when, as soon as I walked up to begin to speak, the presence of God just fell in such a way I couldn't stop crying. And that's just, that's just not like me. But God, even today during worship, my gosh, what a powerful worship service. Amen. Man, Cody, you're packing something heavy. And that girl right there, my gosh, my goodness. Just me not preach, you just sing and let's go home. Anyway, but what God just dropped was so powerful. And the things that he was pulling out of me, <clears throat> I'm just so excited about. So there's just something about Jesus. So I have the, 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 my part is part two. Last week, I believe, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Today, it's going to be, today, you're going to be with me in paradise, but we're going to have some fun first right now, because I just have to say this. Now, I talk, I'm from Baton Rouge. I am Cajun. I don't sound like it. I make a mean, mean, promise you, Cajun chicken and dumplings. That would make a mama slap her mama. I do. I really do. It's got a roux in it and everything, and come on, just almost just went off in the Holy Ghost. And listen to me. But, uh, so, moved around a lot. My mama was from Napoleonville, Labadieville, if anybody knows where that's at. And my papa was born in Point Coupe. He didn't speak English until he started school. He only spoke French. My mama spoke Cajun. And, and there's just nowhere in the world like South Louisiana. Can I get an amen right now? So even when I come back down south, I live in Shreveport. When I come back down and, and, and I hit Alec and I'm Alexandria, and I'm like, hmm, something begins to happen on the inside of me. I just feel an anointing just begin to increase. There's different levels of anointing down here. I don't know why that is. I'm being stupid right now, but honest too. But there's just nothing, nothing like, no one like Jesus at all. And, and, I, and I hope, I need to get to this passage of scripture right here, but I'm going to say this, I talk real fast. I've been told that. So we can have a 45 minute service in about 15 minutes if you'll just stay with me right now. Put your seatbelt on and listen to it in slow-mo later so it can be like normal speak. But, but when I was reading this passage, I started getting so wrecked because we read the Bible sometimes and we just flip through stuff and we think we know it, but we don't. Just like we think we know Jesus, but guess what? I don't think we really do yet. I remember uh, we were youth pastoring in southwest Arkansas in our early 20s, and an ice storm came through, 
and I woke up like at 6 a.m. And, and was just cold. I didn't know that the electricity was out. I heard, I thought it was shotguns going off and it wasn't. It was pine trees snapping like all over the area. And I looked over freezing cold and I looked at my wife and no makeup on and I think she was snoring and she was like this and, and it was nothing attractive, you'd think. No make, and I looked at her and I'm like, all of a sudden this thing came over me and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love her. How many ever had this moment with your, with your spouse where, and, and in this moment, I'm like, everything I thought I knew is love. I don't even know it yet. Oh my gosh, she's, she's beautiful. And you know, drools running. I'm like, she's gorgeous. And I was over, I remember feeling like everything I thought I knew of love isn't love. And you know, when we love Jesus, when we walk with him, you know what, sometimes he just pulls back the veil and let us see just another little glimpse of him and to realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more to him than I could absolutely imagine. Can I get a yeah? I mean, we think about him. I mean, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the prince of peace. We know that he came as a meek and a humble lamb, but he's coming back and he's gonna look a lot different on that day where he puts one foot on a mountain and it splits another foot on the sea. He's got a voice of thunder. He is the son of God and he lives on the inside of us and he's madly in love with you, with your addictions, with your dysfunction, with all the crazy crap going on in your life right now and he is absolutely for you. When everyone gives up on you, he never does. Why? He paid too high a price for you. I think about this, this, this portion where it's like, like we don't understand Jesus, we step back and sometimes ministry or churchianity and the, the, the kind of the, the, the way we do ministry in America can almost make us feel like corporate and we go through the motions, but Jesus broke every type of religious system when he walked the earth. He did all the things he wasn't supposed to do. I'm just talking right now, y'all still with me? I mean, we see him and, and you see the, this leper that comes and runs up to him. And this leper runs up to him because I want you to catch a little glimpse of this before we read this passage so that you can try to understand what happened when he was on the cross between two thieves. See, we got to understand who Jesus is. Because when you see, realize what happened on the cross when he made that second statement, to understand it fully, you got to go back a little bit. And, and so just look at this. This leper runs up to him. And I get overwhelmed when I think about this because this leper comes up to him and he falls at his feet. Now you understand a leper is not supposed to be in society. He should be in, a, in, a, in a, he's an outcast. He belonged in a leper colony. You are not allowed to be in Jewish community when you are a leper, when you had a skin disease. You are not allowed to be around your wife, your children, you're practically just done. You had to put particular type of clothes on, bells, and when you came into an area, if there were people there, you had to start screaming at the top of your lungs, leper. And if you didn't, everybody else would. I don't know about you, but I have felt like a leper so many times in my, in my life. Who's ever felt like a leper before? Untouchable, unworthy, unlovable, scourge, stay away, or people want to be away from you. And Jesus hears, this, this, this man hears that there's this man, Jesus, and he... And if the leprosy just stopped, it'd have to be healed if it just stopped and you were called clean, then you were allowed to go back to your family. How long had this man been a leper? Five years, 10 years, 15 years? Do you realize that he had 
not been touched by a human for a long time. Do y'all understand this? He runs to Jesus and he, uh, he kneels and he says, Lord, if you want to, you can make me whole. If you want to, you can do something that will allow me to see my family again. Allow me to go see my son or my daughter. If you want to, and the Bible says this, that Jesus touched him. And then, and then he said, I am willing. See, Jesus healed him before he healed him. Y'all follow me? When he touched him, he healed him before he healed him. There's no one like Jesus. I think of this man, he, 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 this man died. Jesus just walking and he sees this funeral procession and the Bible says that this was a man who died, the only son of his mother who was a widow. So you know Jesus has this information, right? And he looked at her and the Bible says he had compassion. He's just looking. How many know a dead person that can't ask, raise me up? But he looked and I just see Jesus looking at this woman who's probably in unbearable pain, burying her son, already buried her husband. And the Bible says, when he looked at her, he had compassion. And he raised her up. I think of the man who said, please, can you heal my, my, my child? Your disciples couldn't do it. Please, can you do it? Who knows the story? And he says, if you can, you can heal him. Jesus says, Mark chapter nine, if I can, if you can believe all things are possible. Why did, do you see the wisdom of God that he put this in here right now? Y'all, y'all, who, who believes in faith in the faith message? And right here in this, this section right here, it says, if you can, if you can, it's almost like Jesus rebuking him. If you can, if I can, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And what does the man say? He says, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. I don't know about you, but there are times it's being really real. Where I so need God to move and want God to move. And I want to believe he can, but I battle. I'm like, God, you got to help me. Help me to believe right now because I'm battling right now. Help me to believe that this is possible. And the Lord left that in there for some of us when we're walking through our trials and tribulations and we're needing to hope against hope. Amen. All right, so in Luke chapter 23, we're going to look in verse 32. And we're just going to read on down for a little bit. Y'all ready? I'm going to read it fast. Luke 22, I mean Luke 23 verse 32. I'm reading out the ESV. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. How many others are the two thieves? And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many of you absolutely got rocked last week with that message from Pastor? I, and I know you did because I heard men were sharing testimonies with me about what that message did to them last week. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, 
coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And God, over the next few minutes, I just pray that you open up these scriptures. Father, for the people that are here right now, they need a now word from you. Their marriage needs a now word from you. There's a man here, he needs a word from you. A woman, she needs a word from you, a son or a daughter. Father, I thank you that you cross this room, that you can open up our ears and our hearts in such a way as to speak to us, as to drop something inside of us. That is a now word for a now situation. God, today we thank you that today is a day of salvation. It is a day of healing. It's a day of freedom and deliverance. It's a day of restoration. It's a day of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you have this picture right here of this thief. And here's this thief. And I want you to imagine in the perspective of the thief. Here he is, and he just got flogged himself. He had to carry his wood up that hill too. And he gets spread out on that cross they stripped the clothes off of his body because no one was crucified with their clothes on. In the days of Christ, thousands of men were crucified. Hundreds of women would have been crucified. They at least gave a woman this dignity is that they would crucify her facing the wood rather than outstretched like, like the men were. And so here's this thief right here after who knows what his life was like. The Bible doesn't give us commentary on this. And some would suggest that in the original that actually both of these thieves were participating in a level of the mockery in the very beginning. And so here's this thief, and here he is, he's crucified, and he's raised up, and he sees there's a lot of commotion going on, because usually at an execution, it's not like it's a big party. But on this day, this is a very rare and an exceptional type of a crucifixion, because no doubt this man had probably heard something about this man who was stirring up controversy and causing all kinds of problems in Jerusalem and all around the region, right? And so this man who was going into sinners' houses and sitting down with them while there were tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes coming in there, and how many know they were leaving out of the house a very different way than the way they came in? So it's no doubt that this thief heard many things and heard a lot of the anger and the vitriol of the Pharisees and the religious people and the doubters. And so here they are, and here comes this man. Could you imagine this train? It's like, look, all I wanted to do was, was not die, but if I got to die, I sure don't want there to be a whole bunch of people watching me hang naked on a cross. And yet because of this man of whom multitudes chased after him. Look at, was it in John chapter 12, I believe, where the Pharisees said, look, it's no good, it's no use, everything we're doing, it's not working the whole world has gone after him. How many know the whole world is pursuing Jesus? They don't even know it. And so here's this thief there. And he's got his buddy, his accomplice or whatever. <clears throat> there he is, naked, hanging on a cross. No way to cover yourself. And now here comes this man, Jesus. But it looks really, really different right now. And as he's, they see him, no doubt as they're pull, ripping the clothes off of Jesus' body. See, they couldn't 
How many of you got rocked when you saw the passion? So there's no way they could make that and make it truly authentic. It'd be an X-rated film or did something because there'd be so much nudity and how graphic it was. The mockery, the jeering. And so, and they see this man, there's no doubt also that soldiers are having to silence the crowds, keep the crowds, uh, the crowds in bay, but they're wanting mockery. They wanted this. Look, the Romans knew exactly what to do to make you be afraid to ever have to get crucified. I mean, this was an unbelievable instrument of death, of execution. Because not only is the, and, and many times they actually didn't drive nails in the hands and feet, they would just beat you and hang you up there and let you asphyxiate as your, your lungs collapsed and you just can't breathe anymore. Your lungs collapse and you die. It was a grotesque event. Doll, uh, birds from the, uh, from the area would come in and they'd pluck out your eyeballs, they'd pluck at your teeth, your nose, and, and your organs. And when your body and things begin to fall out, dogs in the city would come up and just lick up everything that hit the bottom of the cross. So there weren't like lots of women going out there to check this out. And, and usually if you were a family member or a close friend, then as a woman, you could go. Otherwise, women didn't go to these executions. So here is Jesus now, and he is crucified in between two thieves, one on his right, one on his left. I don't know about you, but this first off is an incredible picture of humanity. It is an absolute picture of humanity. And I also, I have flashbacks to what I think about, was it Aaron, who Moses commanded to go and stand between the living and the dead with, a, with, a, with some incense, isn't that right? To stay the plague. I believe this is in Numbers. And so he stands there. How many know that Jesus Christ came down the earth and he's the one who stands in the center to bring us the hope of salvation and of eternity? And so here he's crucified in between them. And, and so you're this thief and here's what you're watching. You're watching people throw things. You watch probably as they're still pulling the beard out before they raise him up. You're watching them as all these people are over here weeping and sobbing because they love Jesus. He healed their babies. He raised them up. And then you're, you're the thief and you're seeing all these uh, Pharisees and these religious leaders and they're mocking him now. The Bible says the soldiers are mocking him. So all these things are taking place and yet this man opens up his mouth and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because I guarantee you that these thieves weren't thinking that they would want to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But here he is watching this. And so then we see here in verse 35, the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him. He saved others, let him save himself. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was even an inscription over him, which was a form of mockery for that. This is the king of the Jews. Can you see the Roman proconsul wanting to mock? Hey, here's your king of the Jews. And then his accomplice, this other criminal, the Bible says that he railed at him. So he's on the other side. And, it said, and to, rail, to, to rail means to revel or scold in harsh, insolent, or abusive language. How many of we're, you read this and you think it just happened like that, but this was many, 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 long, many hours and hours and hours and hours. And we read it and we just go about our day, but you gotta stop and pause for a minute. So this is all happening. All of his disciples fled. There he is. We know that John's gonna approach soon with his mother. And so all the disciples fled, and there's Jesus. Naked, 
alone, suspended between two thieves. That's his company. As well, here's Jesus now. Now, let's kind of come from his perspective a little, just a little bit right here. That he's betrayed. He knows what's to come. We know there's something about Jesus that's so majestic. I believe it's in John chapter 18, verse 4, where it says that then Jesus, he was in the garden. They were coming in to, to arrest him. And then they, are you Jesus? And he says this. It says, then Jesus, John 18, 4, fully realized everything that was going to happen to him. He knew that he was going to be betrayed, beaten, mocked. He knew his father was going to turn his back on him. And he would say, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that he was going to taste death and drink of this cup of suffering. He knew the one that he was like, God, if the Lord, Father, if there's any other way, please let this happen. But not my will, but your will. He knew all was going to happen to him. He knew about the painful crucifixion that was coming, the hour of death that was imminent. And the Bible says this, stepping forward to meet them, he said, who are you looking for? I mean, there's no one like Jesus. Man on a mission. He's going to accomplish all that his father gave him to do. And here he is in this moment right here. And he's looking and he sees these soldiers mocking him. They're dividing his clothes. They're casting lots for them, which, of course, is fulfilling scriptures from Psalms. He looks over here and, 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 and he's probably, is he, I wonder, is he trying to see, did, I wonder if Peter is anywhere close. I wonder if there's, he let me know. He, see, he's the son of God and he's the son of man. See, Jesus has a very unique title. You have to understand this because you don't think he does. You don't think he identifies with you. And we're so wrong. See, we, we think that, that he doesn't understand our broken humanity, but he's the son of God and he's the son of man. He's fully God and he's fully man. He know what it was like. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. But he was, uh, you know, uh, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He understood. He felt pain. He felt sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. He feels all this. You feel like you're alone, that no one feels it. My children don't understand this when I tell them, listen, I feel exactly what you feel. You don't understand what it does when you walk through something how many parents know you feel it too you feel that pain it will keep you up at night it will get you up in the morning it will it will expend your last penny why because it's your child and we're imperfect perfect he feels and understands and knows your pain so as fully god fully man son of god son of man unique title and i just wonder was he looking? And then he knows his father was coming. And there's a lot of pressure. Not to mention the torment and the pain. As those nails, nails were driven, whether it's through the hands or whether it's through the wrist right here, doesn't matter. Because he's tied up also. So it could have been through the hands or the wrist. Regardless, it's going through bone, flesh, ligaments. Unbelievably excruciating pain after he'd already been flogged. Crown of thorns pressed on his skull. The nail that was driven to the top of his feet, out of the bottom of his heels. And the way you get air and the way you can try to breathe when you were crucified is that because your body begins to sink is you have to push yourself up to try to gasp for air. But every time you try to push up, well, you got a nail going through your feet. So it's unbelievably painful. So this is what's happening. This is his hour of death. His moment, there's lots of loud noises. He's having to hear them mock him. And then go read Psalm 22 because the Bible says that the bulls of Bashan be set about him. 
which meant that we see what we understand, what we can see from humanity, from mankind, but the Son of God saw some other things that we did not see, which meant you know that right there in that moment, at the place of the skull at Golgotha, that there was untold numbers of demons and principalities and powers that were surrounding this place. It got dark. I wonder how they were mocking him. How many know they were absolutely clueless? Because the Bible says, had they known... They would not have allowed this to happen. And in Psalm 22, you you give this prophetic picture of the Son of God as he's crying out. Where are you? They pierced my hands and my feet. My bones stare at me. Bulls of Bashan, be not far from me. I get emotional. I read Psalm 22, and you know this, this is conveying the heart of Jesus as he's saying, be not far from me. And yet the Father's going to be far from him. He tasted everything we could taste. That we, that we we taste, so that we could be accepted instead of rejected, healed instead of sick, come on, restored instead of cast away. He tasted death for every man here this hour. The press, the pressure. I wonder if in that moment he'd already felt the father was beginning to pull away, and he's 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 here in this moment. And you know Jesus, like having you know, a Jesus, he also he 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 said, I, "I lay my life down and I pick it back up." But, but he knows there's, there's an encounter about to happen on this cross too. So death's going to have to wait. The, the, he knows it was coming. And I, I wonder if in that garden he saw it was going to come. And he's like, Father, hey, um, there's going to be this moment on the cross where this thief's going to recognize who I am. There's going to be this moment and the most brutal moment of my humanity and of my humiliation and embarrassment and shame where um, one of these thieves may call out. So don't withdraw too soon. I just wonder, just being real, I wonder if that's what happened. And I think about all the lies of the enemy that come upon us. What was going on in the mind of the thief on that cross? You know, there's the conviction, the condemnation. He rebukes the other thief and said, basically, shut up. What's wrong with you? And there are a number of things that he said that demonstrated something far deeper when he spoke to that other thief on the cross. Are we okay? I'd I, I tell you, when I was I even told a pastor, I've never preached this message like this, and I just feel like I'm, something's going to go to a little different. Are we okay right now? He's on this cross. Jesus still has time for someone See, Jesus is on his route, and he sees this little bitty man climb up into a sycamore tree to try to see him. He's like, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. Oh, you know, the religious people didn't like Jesus at all. And his heart starts to explode. I, I, I do this, I do this. If I take anything I shouldn't, I restore it back like this. And he's like, hmm. Salvation is coming to this house. No one like Jesus. So here there's pain, and here's Jesus. He knows exactly what this thief's walking through too physically because he feels it also. Know this right now. Sometimes, I'm not you, but the Bible says weep with those who weep. Sometimes when you walk through crappy situations in life, you go through brokenness, you go through pain, we're not immune to pain. Sometimes the best healing for yourself and for another person is when you're just with them. 
You don't need words just to be there with them. Here, he rebukes the other man, and he says, do you not fear God? And I read that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I see something I hadn't saw. What this thief did? See, there were two thieves on the cross. Everything was open and available in that moment. And even at the end, this one man was so bitter by his own life that he could not see that salvation, soon healing, and complete freedom, fellowship, and love with God was about to be available. He couldn't see it. This thief, when he says, do you not fear God? This man recognized something that he did not fully understand in a short moment of time on that cross. You know what he understood? This is God. Do you not fear God? Though he didn't fully understand it. Since you were under the same sentence and condemnation. And look what he says. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. The second thing this man recognized was the just and well-deserved sentence of death that was on him. He recognized the fear of God. Why will men and women, why will broken humanity, why do we do some of the dumb things we do? Because we have no fear of God. What do you see happen in our government? There's no fear of God. In our public school system, no fear of God. With, with children, there's no fear of God. The foundations are broken. And yet this man, he feared God. It's amazing what God can do in a minute. He feared God. Second, he recognized that it was just. It says, he told the man, we indeed justly are under this, this same sentence. The same sentence that we said. So you are under the same sentence of condemnation. Jesus took the same sentence of condemnation that we did. Your addictions, rebellion, unforgiveness, poverty, that same sentence, Jesus stepped right into it. And we're about to see here at the end the greatest miracle of all. See, the greatest miracle, Jesus said, we do greater miracles than he did. Did he not say that? Well, the Bible says in John that there are not enough books that could be written to contain the miracles that he did. How about where it says, then all the multitudes pressed on him and everyone who touched him was made whole? What's a greater miracle? We get excited about this stuff. We get caught up. Well, well Lazarus was dead for how many days? How many? Four days. So as to go find somebody who was dead for five days and raise them up, is that a greater miracle? Well, you don't know that Jesus didn't do that. Listen, you can raise someone from the dead, but if they don't give their life to Christ and become born again, they're going to go back to hell when they die again. The greatest miracle is the miracle of the new birth when you pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. That is the greatest miracle that the Lord gave and brought to us. Look what he says right here. So he recognized that it was just and deserved. I can't say it enough because sometimes we tell people, just come try Jesus. Hey, just accept Jesus. God just loves you. It's all about you. See, there are two aspects of the cross. In American Christianity, we've given one aspect. The two sides of the cross are there is this. What's in it for me? 
and what's in it for God. In American Christianity, we focus on what's in it for us, our healing, our restoration, our freedom, our salvation, our prosperity. But what about what's in it for God? See, who you are in Christ, that's God's gift to you. You can't take credit for that. But who you allow Christ to be in you, that's your gift to God. I'm going to say that one more time. Who you are in Christ is God's gift to you. But who Christ is in you is your gift to him. I feel like I am preaching and saying some stuff today. And I'm almost done, so I'm trying to drag it out. I'm kidding. We're going to close. Get ready. Because then he says, this man has done nothing wrong. He knew, hey, we have the same sentence of condemnation. But wait a minute, he hasn't done anything wrong. He recognized his innocence. Let's keep going here. And he looks at Jesus. And I don't know why I'm, dang it, I don't know if y'all just really pray well up here. Because I've been so emotional since I've been around here. And I, I don't know, I look, at, I look in this verse. And he looks at Jesus in verse 42. I don't know about you, I, I love people. Look, I, I'll go sit with someone who's broken and screwed their whole life up and lost everything. Verge of suicide, bankruptcy, can't stop doing this, that, just to sit with them, to cry with them, to love them, to encourage them, to try to give them hope. Because I just believe that Jesus can do the impossible. I'll go over here and sit with somebody who's a judge and, or a doctor or a lawyer who's wealthy but has also broken their marriage and don't have a relationship with their children. And they also have the same feelings of suicide and despair. They just don't voice it the same and they don't know how to do it, but they're about to crack also because God loves them too. You hear me? So here he looks at Jesus and I, I don't know about, I just love this. He says, Jesus, remember me. And sometimes the cry of salvation is, it's not a well-articulated prayer that you repeat after someone. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Can tell me time I've told people, I'm not leading you in a prayer, you call on the Lord. Because there's something's going to happen in you. When you do, I want him to step in. The older I get, the more I try to move out of being the middleman. My job is to get you to the cross and get you to the feet of Jesus and to let you connect with him and you step in and me step back. He says here, Jesus, remember me. The other man had said, Lord, if you're the son of God, come down and get us down too. This man didn't say, rescue me, heal me, deliver me. Hey, can you have someone come and put a piece of clothes on me because I'm embarrassed? The Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy before him? Oh, I know for sure it was that thief. See, the, 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 the truth is, all of us, all of us are that thief. I was that thief. Under just condemnation, you were that thief. And yet, this Jesus, let me just keep going. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Third thing I saw is that, that I wrote like this is that he recognized that Jesus was a king with a kingdom. 
every governmental political system is broken and fractured. Like, like I'm sure those of you who are scholars would know that America is not actually a democracy. Y'all know that, right? But God's kingdom and his economy, it's a theocracy where he rules and reigns. And that kingdom is both here now and also to come. It's what you call almost not yet. And where we go as the body of Christ, the kingdom goes. And the church is the primary conduit for the kingdom to be released on the earth through the ecclesia, the body of Christ. So he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's Jesus. Oh, man. We're about to see the same Jesus you see all throughout the Gospels. Do what he does best. How about you? But we're about to see the same Jesus that stepped into my world. Not just when I was 16, when I was 21, 28, 38, 45, and still stepping into my life today. The Bible says in Revelations 12, 11, that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb. That speaks of our salvation and righteousness that he's given us in redemption. By the word of our testimony, and that's, that's not how you came to Christ. It's the continual living testimony of what God continues to do. Let me tell you what God has done in my marriage. Let me tell you what he's done in my finances. Let me tell you what he's done in my body. Let me tell you what he's done in relationships, and my job, and my career, and my occupation, and the move of God. Let me tell you what he's done. He's an ever-present help in our time of trouble in every situation we walk into. And they love not our lives unto the death. Why? Because we don't live for this kingdom here. We have another kingdom that we're a part of. And we're, getting, we're closing now. He says here, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, or what I'm telling you is fact, I say to you, see, I hope you never read this one sentence the same again. I hope after last week's message that you'll never, ever, ever, ever come across, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And look at it the same again. Ever. I can't. Because every time I want to say, I'm done with that situation, done with that person, done with this whatever, I can just hear the voice of God saying, our Lord, Jesus, Father, forgive them. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I don't know what's operating them. I don't know what's going on in their private life. I don't know what's going on in their head. I don't know what's going on in their childhood. God, have mercy. If we as the church find out who we are and what we're capable of, if you had an inkling of who Jesus really was, oh my gosh. Today, you will be with me. Jesus in Mark chapter 3, he went from the mountain, he was praying, and he's about to launch his ministry. And he knows he's going to call these men to come follow him. And he knows that he's going to get betrayed by one. That one's going to be a complete idiot, Peter. That James and John are going to be sons of thunder who have to rebuke. They're going to be not cooperative, not unified. And he knows he's going to get out there and be loved and hated. And when he came down from the mountain, he called these men to himself. And it says here, and he called them that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. And a lot of times, as preachers, think about releasing people in ministry and to go do things and let's go perform for the Lord. But it says that 
they might be with him. Because ministry, relationship with him comes before anything for him. And Jesus says to him in front of everybody today, you're going to be with me in my home. Septuagint is the Greek New Testament. It's the phrase they use for paradise, where that came from. You're going to be with me. And I just, I just have this feeling because here's this man, and Jesus had already gone when they got to him. But the thieves had not gone yet. So this one man, they had to break their shins so they could no longer press up, lungs collapse, and die quickly. And here's this one thief. And I, I wonder what kind of joy and peace he may have felt knowing that the pain was not over yet, but it was about to be. And he took that last breath. Now, there's a lot of people that can argue doctrine, and I don't care to do that right now because most people don't know their Bible anyway, so I ain't got time for it. Here, I just know he told that thief. And we know that Jesus went down and preached to the spirits in prison. And he took captivity, led captivity captive. He didn't have to go down into in the corridors of hell and suffer. He said, it's finished. He went down there to still kick butt and take names. In Colossians, the Bible says that he spoiled every principality and power. One translation says he stripped them naked. Oh, you had me naked on a cross? Now you're naked, devil. And the Bible says, it says, says he paraded him through the corridors of hell, Hades, a defeated foe. We talk about Hades, paradise, all this. Ain't got time for that right now. Parrot, you'll be with me. I don't know, but like, just imagine, you know, Jesus coming in there in paradise. Hey, Abraham. Hey, Samson. Yes, because Samson's in the Heroes Hall of Faith. I remember that? You remember, right? The man who's mighty, we embellish on his horrible failures. He never was used, but in the very end, which means that God will still wants to use you. Samson just had so much shame. He said, just strengthen me once more. We don't know that he could have said, Lord, please strengthen me and me out of here. But he was just so done. He's just like, just strengthen me, please, once more. David, come here. Um, and not by you, but we do this, don't we? When somebody gets, we call it radically saved. Come on, I want you, you gotta, you gotta meet this person. I'm so excited. I want you to come meet this person. Come meet this person. Share with what happened to you. Here comes Jesus. And there's this thief. And his legs aren't broke anymore. I bet he's got a robe of righteousness on. Clothed. We get to be clothed with what? Robes dipped in what? And he's got this thief. Hey, and that thief, there's no holes in his hands. He didn't have holes in his feet. And guess what? He's not even angry at his other friend anymore. Imagine Jesus bringing him in. And as Jesus brings him in, as he says, come here. Well, he has a hole in his hand still. Because even in his glorified body, he told Thomas, put your hand, see, feel. But we get new bodies. And can you imagine this thief on that day? Now, here he is and he's, because he just said, remember me. And he's looking at Jesus like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous of that man. I'm so jealous. And you know, there's this eternal thing. And I, I'm going to pray. You ready to pray? Probably get out earlier than you normally do. Am I right? Help me. Please tell me. I, I know we are. And eternity is so amazing because, see, God doesn't dwell in eternity. 
I mean, I mean, God does. He doesn't dwell in time. God created time for us for, and for earth. He created time. And we are in time. So we don't understand eternity. We don't understand eternal aspects of God because we're finite. You were born. That's why when your kids are little and you're like, I was a baby too. And your kids are like, uh-uh, they don't believe it. They can't, they don't understand it. So explain. I don't know about you, but the older I get, it seems like time goes by faster and faster. Like I'm already like, I got to start getting ready for Christmas, I think. When we just had Christmas. This goes by quicker, 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 quicker as we approach the end. The Bible says man's only promise seven years, 80 if by reason of strength. It's just a vapor. James 4.14, what is your life? It is a vapor. It's a mist. It's the morning fog. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's time. And the Bible says that there's a time coming where God is going to send forth the angel. And guess what's going to happen to time? It will cease to exist. So in the eternal aspect, I wonder if it's possible that those that have gone before you and the ones you love dearly that you've lost because the sting of death is on this side of eternity not the other side could it be possible that when we step into eternity we're going to be walking with the thief just as he just walked in there with the Lord you hear people that tell stories and I don't believe all of them but I believe some of them I don't believe all the, uh, the popular celebrity people who say it, but I do believe the common person who's so moved by God that they can't tell you much of what happened in heaven. Paul went up into the third heaven. He didn't even say it was himself. He says, I know a man in Christ. Whether in the body or out, I can't tell. He wouldn't even say it was himself. Then he says, and he heard things that he couldn't even talk about. So then he didn't talk about it. What's that in there for? Is this mocking us, taunting us? But I know this, that people that have had an experience in that eternal realm, they were thought they were up there forever and it, they came back and it was just an instant god is so good amen i want you to bow your head close your eyes if you would please